Welcome to FCPD, Black, White, and Blue. My name is Captain Darrell Nichols. This video podcast is about the history and integration of African-American women and the people of color within the Fairfax County Police Department. With me is Gert Thompson. She was the first black female police officer to join the Fairfax County Police Department in 1972. Hi, Gert. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Darrell. How are you doing? Great. I want to ask you a few questions, Gert, about your beginnings in law enforcement. Tell me what inspired you or who inspired you to become a police officer? I always wanted to be a police officer, but was not open to females. I just had a desire for law enforcement. Um, back in the day when I grew up, even to join the military, you had to have your parents' signature as a female to go into it. So law enforcement was just not an, you know, an area that you would even think of going into. But I just had an interest in it. And when I um, saw that Virginia, Fairfax County, was hiring females, I decided to, you know, to go and um, apply for the position. Initially, Fairfax was looking for juvenile officers, okay, not patrol officers, juvenile officers. Well, Karen Blackman and I came on at the same time, and Karen is white, and we, we, we went through the initial interviews and everything, and, you know, their polygraph testing and everything, okay? And um, the chief called us, and because of the reaction with other, with matter of fact, with some of the wives of the police officers, they did not want females to be a part of it. Quite frankly, they thought we were going to be the problem with their husbands, okay? But anyway, they had no idea it would be the other way around, but that, that, was, <laughs> that was one of their initial things. But they were in agreement, or was it Colonel Dura and Colonel King or something like that, whatever his name was, I can't remember now. But they had decided on bringing us on. And then at the last minute, they called us and told us that they were not going to hire females at all. And I sort of had an attitude, okay, because <laughs> we went through so much, you know, to get to that point. So I wrote him a letter and let him basically know what I thought, you know, about the decision and um, being very nice, you know, about it, but just that, you know, what we've been through and the fact that they were encouraging us, you know, to, to become a part of the department. Well, after I wrote him the letter, um, he called me and he said, you know, he wanted me to come over. And I told him I was not coming to Fairfax unless we were getting a job. And he said, if anybody had that, that you know, if you had guts to write him a letter as to <laughs> that, you know, you could come over. So, so we went over, I went over and he said, well, we're going, he said, I'm going to offer you the job if you come over. Okay. And I said, okay, I'll come over. So that's initially how it started. So tell me about the history um, when you attended the North Virginia Regional Training Academy. Okay, at the academy, well, there was there were four females. There were two from Arlington and Karen and I, so we had four females. And I was only the black female and male. There were no males in the academy when I was there. I was the only black person there. And um, you had things that were done you know, just that you knew were done deliberately, intentionally, because you were black, but you couldn't say too much about it. When you sort of, when you got to your squads, okay, and your squads were made up, but your squad leader made it clear that you were going to get together and you were going to be together, okay, whether you're black, white, or whatever, because he wanted us to understand and recognize that your life can depend on the actions of someone else, and he wanted you really to join forces. 
And if you did something wrong, the whole squad paid for it, okay? They, they, they were, <laughs> which they didn't like too much and let you know real quick, okay? But um, as far as my squad leader went, he was, he was really good as far as, you know, making you join forces. And there were some things that happened that I myself felt that I thought that I would be treated differently. And I think one, one real quick example was when we had to swim. Back there, you had to swim. And I knew how to swim. I'd been swimming since I was in fourth grade. And I made like I didn't know how to swim because I figured if they played games or something in the pool, you know, nobody was going to come and play with me. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but really. But as it turns out, they came over, you know, and we started, you know, doing things together. So that, you know, that that helped. But you still had a lot of other ones there. There, there it was a lot of guys in, in, in the departments that were former military. So they had already had their opinion of where a female should and shouldn't be. Talk about that experience when you had to learn how to swim. Was there something that happened that caused you to be accepted by the your squad? Well, what happened was they had an area where either if you didn't know how to swim, you went to that part of the pool. If you had that area, you know, you, you went. So I went to the area where you didn't know how to swim. So I <laughs> figured, okay. <laughs> So, and by the time they got finished holding on to the wall and doing puppy dogs, I decided I'd go to the area where you could swim, okay? And um, then after you had done some of the um, laps that they wanted you to do, they would give you time just to mess around and play around, you know, in the pool, you know, with each other. And the other females, they were putting them on their backs and whatnot, you know, and shoulders and all. I figured, well, okay, don't have to worry about that. And a guy came over and said, you're playing, you know, and it was a person from my squad and they came up and said, you know, you're, you're, you're going to do this, you know, and that settled it right there, you know. Okay. okay. So tell me about, uh, after graduating from the academy, you met your squad and was there a time when your hair became a topic of discussion? Oh yeah. Well, see, they didn't have, they had, didn't have any restrictions because, quite frankly, they didn't know what to do with us. We didn't have uniforms, let alone a hair code, other than the fact that you couldn't have it on your collar. So my squad leader, he had, he had issues with <clears throat> me being black and female, I mean, serious issues. So one day what I did was I, I cornrowed my hair and put some beads in it and, and came. <laughs> and came into the squad room. He almost had a heart attack. He, he, he didn't, I mean, he, he really did not know what to do. And there was no law. I mean, they didn't have it in, in the code, the dress code. So, but I did it just to, you know, to get at him. But initially in the, um, even in training, if you wore a bush, they would take and put like a pick in it to show you that you could have a, an, um, a weapon mm -hmm. in your hair. And they used me as an example to have a weapon, you know, hidden in your hair. Okay, okay. So was there a time when you were out on the street training with your um, field training instructor and you would arrive at a resident and um, they would say things to you like, who is she? Can you tell me about some of those experiences? We were stopped on 495, my training officer and I, and we were arresting a gentleman on the highway. And it was a black gentleman. What he was walking out there for, we have no idea. But anyway, cars actually pulled up behind our cruiser and wanted to know if the officer needed some help in arresting me. And, you know, the guy was black, I was black, so he, they figured that the officer needed some help, 
so he could with his arrest. And he made it very clear that she's a police officer, you know, and I do not need your help. And that helped also, you know, I mean, he was really agitated by it, but for someone to pull up behind you and find out, see if you need some help because there's two black people here and, you know, that, that they may need your assistance in arresting them and had no idea that I was a police officer. Okay. So when you graduated from the academy and finished that training with your field instructor, there was a time when you had to wear a uniform. What happened when um, the uniforms were not there and, and how did you carry your, your service weapon during that time? Well, first of all, we had to wear the blue shirts that the crossing guards wore because they didn't have any shirts for us. They didn't have any uniform for us, quite frankly. Um, you had to wear the blue shirt because they didn't have it. Um, but you did have your patches on it that indicated you were a police officer. As far as your weapon was, we used, um, it was a snub nose, um, six shooter, whatever. And I had to have my purse made to put a holster inside of my purse that you could carry that on your shoulder. So that's how you carried your gun because I think they called them back in the day, Sam, Sam Brown or whatever they were called for, 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 for the guns and all. They had none for us. Also, once you were with that squad, it came a time when you were given a nickname. And can you tell me what that nickname was and what it meant? My nickname was Midnight, okay? The reason it was Midnight was because I was black, okay? Made it very clear, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody had a nickname, so you couldn't, you know, say too much about it. I was, I wasn't shocked by it. I sort of expected it, but that was my nickname, was Midnight. Sure. And then that's just the normal culture within the law enforcement culture, the normal kind of behavior that would happen. Oh, sure. sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and was there a time when once you announced to your friends that you were going to become a police officer. Did you lose any of your friends who um, you grew up with and were around often? I lost a lot of my friends. They thought I was insane. Um, I told them that I'd always wanted to do it, but I want to make it clear that if you did something in front of me, you know, it's against the law and the law applies to you. I mean, it's just that plain and simple. Um, I feel that, you know, um, a lot of your friends you're going to lose. I mean, they called me a pig the same as they called other people a pig. I wasn't excluded because I was black and female. Uh, matter of fact, I was looked at as a traitor because I became, you know, a part of the department. And um, that's, that, that was their response to it. And, and I, I lost a lot of them, but I didn't care. I figured they weren't my friends in the first place, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, to share um, in a discussion with you, that was the same experience that I had with my friends, that I'm a law enforcement officer, I have a different life, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. And so that's a normal um, kind of a culture or pressure or something that officers in, in uniform, they have to deal with on a regular basis. Now, I want to take you to something else and you can talk about this in detail. Talk about the African American woman and her standing in the profession then and now. Then, it was an entirely different era. Okay, um, it was not open to females, period. And when you got into it, well, even as an African-American woman, okay, and let me, when we, when we say African-American, we went from Negro to colored to black to African-American, okay? I want to tell you, there were four different names that you had, okay? It wasn't just African-American, okay? But um, I think that with, um, 
It's, it's difficult now, but I, at least you have others around that you can see. Um, there are, I don't know, I don't know exactly how many women Fairfax has on, on their department now, but some of those that I met, and I, I, meant, I meant some of them after I was a magistrate, but some of those that I met, they didn't stay around long, so I, I really don't know, you know, what some of their issues were. But I really feel now there's a necessity for it because um, there was a necessity for it then, but there's even more so now, just because um, the, the the county's changing, everything is changing. Everyone, I think, if you can get over to people that you're really there to help them, you know, regardless, you you make a difference. And I think now. Nowadays, believe it or not, with what was going on back then, you can make more of a difference just because people are there that hear you and no one would hear you before. You can speak out more now than what you could then. Okay. Um, tell me about Ed Baskerville and Christopher Stokes. Who were they? Okay. Chris was, um, he was patrol officer and so was Ed. Ed was the first black uh, police officer to retire from the department, okay? And Chris, well, I, I don't know how long ago Chris passed, but Chris was on the department. But Chris, I understood Chris to, to come from another department in Richmond or something like that. But we would get together. We couldn't get together that often. They, it was, in a sense, it was like they made certain that we would get together. I can't say they did, but they, <laughs> we just couldn't. And so it would be after hours. But Ed was... Um, when Ed retired, I believe he was a resource officer, and he retired to um, Mexico. Okay. Tell me about the friendships you established when you were a police officer, and do you have some of those same friendships now? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I really had a lot of friends, believe it or not. Um, when, it, when it comes down to, you know, it's funny how some people will... They want to be your friend, but then again, they can't let on that you're your friend because they have to suffer the consequences of it. But um, Karen Blackman and I, to this day, Karen and I are very close and we remain close. And Karen was the first female to retire from Fairfax County Police Department. Many organizations today are devoted and they have devoted their missions to hire African-American women in law enforcement. What advice can you give them today, young women of color and African-American women coming into law enforcement? How do they stay around? How do they navigate the environment of, of being in law enforcement? Can you talk about that to give them some advice? Well, I hope they don't take this the wrong way, but I really feel that if you're going in law enforcement and you're a young person, and if you have a family, it's going to be difficult. Um, just because you have a family. There are things that you have to do to connect with your other officers, your, even with your partners, that maybe you can, maybe you can't. And I'm going to go back to when I was, when I was, I was married and had a child. So I put my marriage before, okay, the department. And I really feel that if you're going to law enforcement, you have to go in for it. And this is not because you're female. I just feel that you really need to know what you're going in for because it's, it, it is work. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of work and you have to be really sincere about what you want to do. And I really feel that they need to listen out to their senior officers, you know, to get some guidance. But I really feel that's a field that, that, that is needed 
and I don't want females to feel that you, you go in and you think that everything's going to be bang, bang, shoot them up because people don't realize most police officers don't use their gun. Television has it depicted that way that you do and you do not. You only hear about it happening. I mean, you don't hear about the good things that, you know, that are done. And I, I really feel that it's a, a good profession to be a part of because you can make a difference. And you should be a part of it to make a difference because other people are going to come up behind you and they, they just are, you know, because they've seen what you what you can do and what you contribute. And a lot of officers really do a whole lot that they it's just never acknowledged and, and they really do. And I'm not just saying that, but it is done on a daily basis. Please tell me what steps are needed to improve um, the FCPD inside and outside going forward in terms of community engagement? Working with the community, working within the community is very important. Most police officers don't feel that they're a social worker, but they really are in a sense, okay? Um, if you engage with your community, then they give you a lot of information, a lot of insight as to what's going on, what's creating some of these problems. And I really feel that unless you know it, a lot of the areas where police officers are, it's too expensive for them to live in the community in, in, in the county, okay? Um, and so if they live outside of the county, they have no idea unless they engage. I, I think that community policing is one of the best things that, that can happen. Get out of the patrol car, get to know the people, even, you know, even though you don't live in that area, you really need to get to know the people and in, engage in some of the activities that the community puts on so you can be aware. The more, the more comfortable you are with, with, with the community, the more comfortable they are with you. Thank you, Gert, for joining me today. Hopefully this discussion that we had will help bridge the gap in communication between the communities we serve here in Fairfax County. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for our first video podcast of FCPD Black, White, and Blue. We hope you found the discussion insightful and will join us again in the future on discussions of similar topics.